Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. You could have kept reading on it. That'll actually be, we'll come back. As I mentioned last week, we're going to um, take a break next week and we're going to spend six weeks talking on prayer. But the sixth message on prayer is actually going to be from Matthew 17. We're going to jump back into Matthew with the discussion of the, the healing of the epileptic when we talk about the power of prayer. And so, um, so we'll come back to that. But last week, um, we began to look at Jesus in the, the instructional phase um, of his ministry, preparing his disciples for his departure um, by giving them more concrete information regarding who he was. And so a few weeks ago, when we were um, discussing um, about his instruction and his authority, Jesus had, had declared at that time that, um, that he was the Lord of... Anybody remember? He was Lord of what? The Sabbath, Lord of the Sabbath. And if you remember us going through that, we talked about the Shabbat and how God, Yahweh, is the one who created the Shabbat and that the Shabbat actually was his. And so when Jesus referred to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath, he was really calling himself Yahweh. And then he stated that greater than the temple was with them. And the temple was, or is, considered to be? The presence of God, or the dwelling place of God, and so therefore the presence of God. And so to be greater than the dwelling place of God, you, the only way you can be that is if you are God himself. Okay, And so, so those were statements that were made, but now Jesus comes into this phase where, if you remember last week, he took his disciples up to, to a certain place, and I have a, that little map there to help us remember that. He took them up to... Caesarea Philippi, okay, which is originally called Pania. And if you remember, Pania, why was it called Pania? It's in the name, Pania. Pan. What about Pan? The Greek god, Pan, who was a god of the wilderness and wild things, okay? So it became a, the, the god of fertility and that kind of stuff. And I don't have the pictures up that we had up last week, but there's the grotto that's there in Pania where they, where they, they worshipped Pan. And then uh, Philip, uh, Herod Philip, decided to, to increase it and make it much larger, the city that was surrounding it, um, in honor of Caesar, okay? And so he, re- he called it Caesarea, but there was already a Caesarea down on the coast on Mediterranean, and so he called it Caesarea Philippi. But it was a place of, of true, if you would, demonic and um, idolatrous practices. And that's where Jesus had taken the disciples. Remember, they had traveled into Gentile territory, to Ty- the woman of Tyre. Then they went down into Decapolis. And now he's taking them back up into Caesarea Philippi, into this, in this um, pagan territory, okay? And uh, as he's going there, as he's in the region, that's where he asks them, who do men say that I am? And so they go through and they say, well, some think that you're John the Baptist remade, which is really kind of a weird thought process if you think about that, because Jesus and John the Baptist were what? Well, not just cousins, but but contemporaries. They lived at the same time. And so John hadn't been killed very long ago. And so to say that Jesus is the reincarnate presence of John the Baptist, that's kind of really a weird thing. You'd have to really believe that the spirit of one individual leaves and then turns around and then what? Comes and dwells in somebody else. And so, um, so that's kind of odd. But some said, you know, you're Jeremiah. 
So you're one of the prophets, right? That you're just a, a great prophet. And we saw how, even today, how there are people, there are quote-unquote Christian organizations, which aren't Christian, who, who give Jesus these different things. And, and, um, so, for example, the Mormons saying that he's the brother of Satan, who became a god. The Jehovah Witnesses saying that he is the archangel Michael, who had become incarnate. And so, Gerald, you shared on Wednesday night that you actually talked to a Jehovah Witness this week, and he admitted that, Right? Yeah. Did that surprise you that he admitted it? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting stuff when you, you know, if you know that, you can be armed with that. And you don't attack a Mormon or attack a Jehovah Witness with it, but it's a statement of fact. And then you just lay that alongside what the Bible says. Make sense? And so Jehovah Witnesses, Isaiah 43, 10 and 11, that's their, that's their key verses. You are my witnesses, saith Jehovah. Okay, and, but it says, Yahweh says right there, Jehovah says right there, he says, before me there was no God and neither shall there ever be after me. And so if he is, if he is the, 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 the brother of Satan who became a God, then they're what? They're going against their own verses because Yahweh said what? Besides me there is no other God. Did they get it? I mean, it just does, it doesn't make sense. So anyways, so that's where we're at in there. But when he goes up here, I think it's, he has multiple purposes, I think. <laughs> Isn't it amazing to think about God weaving the tapestry of life? You know, everybody's life is like a piece of yarn. And we're either going over or under other people all the time, you know. And you see the, the yarn, and it's got multiple colors in that yarn. And you're thinking, what is the deal with this thing? But then as it weaves, you turn it over, you look at the final product, and there's this picture that's there. You know, it's an amazing picture. And so... Um, and so I, I just, Ben, you know, but some of you other ones, you'll get this. you remember the Burlington commercials with the strings that would weave? Marsha's remembering it. Come on, somebody else has got to be old enough as Marsha and I. Anyways, but they would have the Burlington factory, uh, not Burlington factory, that's a store, but Burlington was a cloth maker, and, and they had the, and it would just weave the, 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 the strings. It was just an amazing thing. That's what God does. And so, so Jesus is going to... to the Caesarea Philippi, Pania, Banias. And, uh, but there's multiple things happening here. And so he, he uses this as an opportunity to, ad- to address his disciples. Well, who do the people say that I am? And so they tell him, but then he turns around and says to them what? Who do you say that I am? That's what the world says. But what about you? That's really critical. Okay? And again, we know the book answer. Right? I mean, we know the book answer. We, you know, some of you grew up in church. You know what you're supposed to say. Jesus, Bible, God, you know, you, you just, Holy Spirit. Throw that one in every once in a while because that could be an answer to the question too, you know. Sin. Sin, 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 you know. Grace. And so we know book answers. So what are they supposed to say? Well, you're God. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. They were Jews, so they were going to say what? Messiah. But this wasn't just a book answer for them because think about it. They're living the book answer. We're reading the book answer. They're what? They're living the book answer. Do you know when you really declare who Jesus is to you? When you live out the book answer. When life happens and you're squeezed. What comes out of your lemon? Your life. Do you get it? Is, it? is it sour lemon juice coming out? Or is it lemonade coming out? Is there sweetness and goodness of God coming out? Is there a putrid world coming out? Who is Jesus to you? Whoever Jesus is, 
is going to affect everything you are. That's what Jesus is about to do now. Because here, in Caesarea Philippi, if you come up onto the uh, ceiling a little bit, you can kind of see where it's starting to get dark here. You come into here, there's a place called Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon um, is not extremely high, okay? From heights, it's not as tall as as um, Denver. It's in the 4,000s, not into the 5,000s, okay? But for that area, Mount Hermon is, is a high peak, okay? You see in the wintertime, it's quite snowy, okay? And, um, and this is actually down, this is the Hula um, Lake, right? Lake Hula, okay? Which was about in here in the, the previous map. Let's see if I can go to it. There we go. You can say, see Lake Hula? So this picture of Mount Hermon is from down in this area, okay? And so... Um, it kind of gives you an idea how, how big it is, okay? And so Pania then is down in this area, okay? And so Jesus was going into the region of Pania, but note, he didn't, we talked last week, it's not that he went to the grotto of Pan. Makes sense? He didn't go to that place, okay? He was in the region. Why was he in the region? I think because he was going to take this mountaintop experience for uh, Peter, James, and John. Okay, And so that's this, this moment that we want to talk about. And many times it's, we talk about it as the Mount of transfiguration, okay? And so there are a lot of debates where the mountain transfiguration is, but I think the Bible is pretty clear about where it probably was. I mean, they were in this region, and while they were there, they did it. This is the mountain that's there, okay? So I'm not going to go up on that mountain and put a spot on it and say this is the exact spot and you need to worship it, but this is kind of an interesting you know, visual for me as I go through this to realize this wasn't just, you know, Martinez and he found a high spot. Make sense? They went up into a mountainous region, Okay. And so we see this event, and the first thing we see about this event, before we get to the transfiguration itself, is very critical. Because when Jesus goes up onto this mountain, he only takes three, Peter, James, and John. And so, which is very interesting, because again, when Jesus first came, there was the what? There was the multitude. And then as, and you can check this out, check me out on this, okay? Then as Jesus went, and he called people to follow him, we instantly start focusing on Peter and Andrew, James and John, and that kind of stuff. But what we see is that he actually sent out 70 first. Okay, you can go check me out on this. That there was actually 70 that he had first. We don't have a listing of those 70 names. But then he went under the mountain, and he chose what? 12. So from the multitudes, Jesus chose 70 that were going to be in a closer circle. From the 70, he chose 12, were given their names. But even from within the 12, then, he did what? He chose three. He spent even more time with the three. If you kind of look at this concentric circles from the perspective that, that he's spending more and more and more and more time. And so sometimes we can get kind of frustrated. We can kind of feel like we're being cheated on, on certain relationships or whatever. But this is a model that even Jesus chose. That the reality is that there are going to be certain ones that you see with leadership potentials or whatever. And you begin to what? Disciple them. Focus on them. Mold them. Make them. Okay. Now, whether it is because they, they, they did something, whether it's something Jesus saw in them, whatever it was, this is a fact, okay? So you have the multitude, then you got 70, then you got 12, then you got three. I just like to ask myself, I mean, it's purely by the grace of God, I mean, I know, I mean, I was a recipient of being one of the three for somebody else who, who invested their life in me, okay? Are you... 
for somebody one of the three. And regardless of that, do you have three? This is discipleship. Jesus said, go out and make what? Disciples. It's investing your lives in people. And so there's a multitude that's out there. But you're going to start whittling it down, and you're going to have a closer and closer and closer group. The three are Peter, James, and John. I want two real quick little comments here. First of all, there's a notable not here. Who's not here? This is big. No, not Matthew. Well, no, he's, he's the son of British. No, no, there's, there's, there's another name. It, it should blow your socks off that he's not listed here. No, Paul, he's, remember, he's, he's, he's still out there breathing threats against the church. Not yet, because, you know, but anyways, but he's... he's Andrew. Andrew. Why? Why is Andrew the, the big one that's not here? Keep going. He's a disciple before them. He introduced Peter to Jesus. Who is Andrew? Peter's brother. Who are James and John? They're brothers. They're the sons of Origenes. They're brothers. Here's Peter. Where's Peter's brother? Always getting left out. Poor Andrew. You got Matthew, Tim, and Ben. But Andrew is left at the bottom of the mountain. Anyways, that's good, buddy. I didn't even think about that. Good job. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, poor Andrew. Anyways, I always tell them, they, they feel like they've missed out on certain things from earlier. And I said, but just remember, your, your brothers and sisters are looking at you saying, man, they get all the technology I never had. And they're like, well, yeah, that's true. So, anyways, but, so, Jesus made a hard decision here. I, I don't, I'm not going to go into it, because this is all argument from what? Silence. But it's something that it, it, it strikes me. I mean, why was he missing? Now, the other side of that. What about Peter, James, and John? Other than Paul, other than Paul, who are Peter, James, and John? Say again? Peter was a wild one. But these guys are all, if we, as we talked about last week, pillars of the early church. Peter and Paul. They were either primary two apostles. Okay, so we have the apostle to the Hebrews and apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul is going to come in later on. Okay, God has a purpose for that. Okay, what about James? What do we know about James? Good job. He's the first martyr. Judas wasn't a martyr. Judas was the first to die, but he didn't die as a martyr. James. So when we read the book of James, that's not this James. The book of James is Jesus' half-brother, who wasn't a believer until after the resurrection, who became the head of the church, who became the lead elder of Jerusalem. So when you read about how Paul goes to Jerusalem and meets with James, it's not this James. It's the brother of Jesus, James. This James was killed by Herod. He was the first to follow Jesus in death for the name of Christ. Wouldn't it have been interesting going up to that mountain with Jesus at that moment? I'm looking at Mark and Steve, so I got Mark, Steve, me, me, Steve, and Mark. We're the ones that would get to go up there. 
If, if Jesus would have said ahead of time, listen, one of you guys are going to be the pillar of the church, one of you guys are going to live to a hundred something and, and write some revelation, one of you are going to die. I'll, I'll, I'll write the revelation. Right. Which one of you want to be a pillar? You can be a pillar. I don't want to die. <laughs> Think about it. You wouldn't, if you would have known to be in the inner core meant that you got to what? Die for Jesus. You may not have wanted to be what? In the inner core. Church tradition says that Peter was crucified. How? See, you guys know it. Upside down. Being in the inner core wasn't necessarily a what? A good thing at that moment, was it? Okay? The closer you get to Jesus, the greater the spiritual struggle and spiritual battle will be. So, go back to that question. Are you one of the inner three? It doesn't have to be with the inner three with me or with Steve or with somebody else on the earth. I'm t- are you on the inner three? Do you have a desire to be closer drawn to Jesus? We're going to see what these three got to see. Do you want to see Jesus in this way? Do you honestly really want to see the power of the resurrection? Paul said that I may know him. He wasn't one of the three. He earned for this. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. And if by any means attaining unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though what I already attained either were already perfect. But this one thing I do, reaching forth unto those things which are before, and forgetting the things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. These guys got to have something. So, John, he got to live to, he was ripe old age, um, and he got to talk about the, um, the revelation. So, what about the next phase? Well, the presence of Jesus. I have this a little bit bigger later on, but this is called the metamorphosis. We refer to it as the transfiguration. We're told that Jesus' face shone like the sun. You can read Revelation 10, verse 1, I'm not going to go there, about a mighty angel that comes down in the clouds with a rainbow wrapped around his head, and its face, its face, his face shone like the sun. I think it's Jesus. You can go wherever you want with it on that one. His clothes were brighter than a launderer could bleach. That's Mark 9, verse 3 tells us that with the, the brightness of the white was like that, and that comes from the book of Malachi, um, chapter 3. This, this picture of Jesus that Matthew is trying to describe. Was Matthew there? No. No, he wasn't there. Was Mark there? No. Was Luke there? No. So they had to get this from where? From, from one of the three. Now, if you go back to the book of Mark, and I preached on it a few years ago, who does Bob believe that the gospel of Mark really is? A gospel of? Peter. The Gospel of Peter. I believe that when Paul calls for John Mark to come to Rome, it's because he wants Peter to write down the Gospel. And so it becomes the the Gospel of Mark, but I think it's really Peter's. And that the others then used Mark as a a source document. You understand? As they as they wrote, Luke makes no bones about it. When you read the book, the beginning of Luke, Luke, Luke's book is a research project. Okay. He's writing a research project. And so, for Theophilus, whoever Theophilus is. And so, so Peter, this is, in my mind then, what I'm getting is Matthew's rendition of what 
Peter's trying to comprehend. Could you imagine seeing this and trying to write what you're seeing? He was like, what? They don't know magnesium yet. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking, it's like magnesium burning and you can't even look at it. Have you ever seen magnesium burning? Okay, you get it, okay. I mean, it's like looking straight into the sun. How long can you look at it? You can't. His robes were, were white, like how white? I mean, th- you got to get understand. Think about it. They're they're washing their clothes where? In a river, in a stream, whatever. You know. I mean, that's why there was brown clothes a lot because they they dyed it with the the dirt. You know, it's kind of hard to get real white stuff. And, and this guy's saying, "Man, it is so white. It's like they bleached it somehow. It's like I mean, it's whiter than white than you can get." Say again. Cal, don't take me away. Yeah. I mean, this is nuts, okay? And so, so he's just trying to describe this. This is a phenomenal thing. But the biggest thing that's happening here is that there was this metamorphosis. That's the Greek word. We say transfiguration, okay? Very important for us because what we're going to see toward the end of the message, okay? Because this is like this, the, the, the caterpillar, right, that becomes the monarch butterfly. Is it a different insect? From here to here, let's assume that this is time-lapse photography and this is the same thing, okay? Is this a different caterpillar than that butterfly? The answer is what? No. No. Does it look the same? No. No. Is it entirely different in its form? Yes. But is it in its very being the same bug? (laughs) Yes. This is exciting stuff. I I can't go ahead of myself. We'll get there in a moment. But this is Jesus. And we're told in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very morphe, the very form, the very morphe God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He took on the outward appearances as a man. He took on the outward appearance, but he took on the morphe of a servant. He was in the morphe God, but he put on the morphe of a servant. And then he was found in outward appearance as a man. This is fun stuff for me. Do you know, in a, if, if you would, this outward appearance of a man, he's there, Right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know what happened up on the top of Mount Hermon or whatever mountain this is for Peter, James, and John to see? His glory. The glory of Yahweh. The shachanach abode. The, the tabernacle and glory of God was there. It came upon, He was just transformed into His glory. Just so exciting. Was the flesh Jesus? Yeah, no. Was Jesus just inside? We're told in Colossians that the fullness of God dwelt in him bodily. I just mind-boggling stuff. And so here in the top of this mountain, this fullness of God bursts out. When you see that little bitty caterpillar and you're trying to figure out whether it's a tent worm, or whether it's a monarch butterfly, you tend to want to what? Squish it just in case. (laughs) 
I found a, I found a, um, a chrysalis years ago when I was in, I'm going to say seventh grade. It was, it was, it was there at the, um, I, I grew up in the city, okay, so we had a, uh, like a little play field, if you would. I don't know what you'd call it. We played everything, and it had very high fences because it wasn't really big enough to play a lot of stuff, so you had to have really high fences so you couldn't knock the ball out. But there's this chrysalis that was kind of attached to it, and um, oh, it fell, it had fallen, so it must have been on the fences, right, because I saw it, and I scooped it up, and I took it into my science teacher, and, and he gave me a, a box, like, you know, the clip rings, and we poked holes in it, and I get, it got some grass. It was pretty precious. It was somebody's whole yard. Anyways, no, anyways, <laughs> it's in the city. Anyways, put some little bit of grass in there. And, and every, every morning I'd, I'd go and I'd open up the box, you know, and there was the chrysalis. And one day the chrysalis was gone. And I was panicked because I was like, somebody swiped my, 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 my chrysalis, my, my, my caterpillar, you know, whatever, you know, it was gone. I mean, I picked it up and look, it's gone. And I put it back down, you know. And so I'm looking through the house. Who took my chrysalis? You know, it wasn't that big. My house was probably about this big. And um, so it didn't take long to figure this out, right? It's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And, yeah, Gabrielle's saying it is. It's, yeah, it may be even smaller than this. Yeah, I think this is bigger. <laughs> and so, I mean, you, I say those things, but you're talking about I grew up in a shoebox. And so, literally. And, and so, you know, I went back and we're like, it's gone. And my mom says, well, are you sure? And I said, yeah, look, mom. And I went like this. And as I went like this, something caught my eye. Freddie. <laughs> Freddie was my pet butterfly. And I stuck up my finger and, and Freddie walked onto my finger. And I, I had Freddie, you know, I, for a day or two, I had a pet butterfly. But I realized I had to what? Let my pet butterfly go. Anyways, and it was a monarch. So this is great pictures for me. Okay. This is really cool stuff. I mean, this butterfly, that's not Freddie, but it's probably one of his cousins. Anyways, uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> sad stuff. Anyways, anyways, this is too cool. I mean, when you see this and you see some of the stripings and stuff like that, you can kind of see some of the, the beauty that would be there. But it's nothing at all like it at all. And that's exactly, Peter, James, and John are on the mountain and they're up there with a guy. Do you get it? They're up there with this Jewish guy. And while they're watching... This plain old Jewish guy becomes the glory of God. Could you imagine? Do you ever yearn to see that glory? I do. I'm not looking forward to the process of getting there. But how I yearn to be in that spot where I can fully be in the presence of God. But that's what Paul was crying out for. That's what he was hungering for. And he says, he says that um, whether it be by life or by death, that he wants Christ to be magnified in his body. Philippians chapter 1. He says, I'm in a strait betwixt the two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. But nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so he says, so I'm going to put it off. Because I know that being with you is more important. Do you get it? But Paul's greatest desire was what? To be there. What's your desire? This is kind of cool stuff. So this transfiguration that goes on there. But in it, while this is going on, all of a sudden, (laughs) their eyes are focusing on Jesus and what's going on. But then all of a sudden, there's two other guys. 
on the mountain. I mean, could you imagine this? There were only what? Four of us. And now there's six of us. There are two others. And instantly they recognize Moses and Elijah. How did they recognize them? Did Jesus introduce them? I don't know. But now all of a sudden they got these other two prophets. And I love Peter because Peter is, is so out there. You know, and he just kind of opens up his mouth before he stops to, to think about, I need to stop this, right? And he says, oh, Lord, it's so good for us to be here so we can make three tabernacles. What's his thought process there? No, well, okay, that's cool. We don't come down. But no, it, 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 it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's that grotto concept going on here. We're, they're, they're making something for each of their three gods, if you would. They're, they're, they're holy men. Okay? And so, in, in a sense, what they just did with Jesus was bring them down to, the, to Moses, Elijah, and now we got the, the fulfillment of the prophets, Jesus. That's what Jesus had just asked them, remember? Who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, just one of the prophets, right? But who do you say I am? Well, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the Living God. But yet, when it push comes to shove, here it is. They got two other prophets, and what is Peter doing? He's making him a prophet because even though he's got him as a Son of the Living God, he's kind of still like struggling like us. That just that doesn't compute. So he's still just what human. He's just a glorified human. I mean, this is exciting. doesn't work that way, does it? And so, Moses and Elijah are there real quick on the side, just for us to know. Representatives of the prophets. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. Okay, And that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's the summation of the law and the prophets. And so what's kind of exciting here is we know who they are, but look at their their discussion. They're talking to Jesus about what? His impending trip to Jerusalem. What's going to happen on his impending trip to Jerusalem? He's going to be killed. He's going to be beaten, and then he's going to be killed, and then ultimately he's going to be raised from the dead. This is exciting stuff. Because we're going to, Jesus is going to tell us in just a moment, tell them, don't say anything about this until after it happens. This is a confirm, prophetic confirmation of the Messiah's ministry. This is what Jesus came to do. Even the, the, the law and the prophets declare it. From the beginning, all the way through, it's been being revealed. Though in a mystery, though in a shroud, it's been there. Moses, we're told, was killed by God and buried in Mount Pisgah. But no one knows what. Where? We know Elijah never what? Died. He was what? He was taken up in the chariot of fire. That's right. I've always wondered whether Moses actually died. Or whether that was just what was declared to us. And whether he was taken up like Elijah was. Or Enoch was. These are also probably the two who we see in Revelation chapter 11 at the, um, at the temple. Who will, from the world's perspective harass them for three and a half years. From God's perspective, what are they going to do for three and a half years? Say again? 
they're, they're going yeah, to be witnesses. They're going to preach the word. They're going to witness to the love and mercy of God. And that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It has been happening, and now it's ready. The bulls of God's wrath are ready to come out. It, you, have, you need Because you see the seals, the, the trumpets, and they're there for three and a half years. And so look at what's been going on. God has declared this. It's happening. It's happening just like God said, because the book of Revelation has already been written. Okay, And so all these things are going to already been happening. And these guys are going to be there. They're going to declare, look, it's already going on. Do you not see it? But they're going to have the power, the same powers that Moses and Elijah had over all of nature. Okay? And so you can read that in Revelation 11. And so then after three, three years, three and a half years, they're going to be, that God's going to allow them to finally what? Go through the portal of death. They're going to be killed. And they're going to be laid out for three and a half days in the streets of Jerusalem. And every eye in the world are going to see them. Do you know why? We got webcams now. And there are going to be webcams on, on these prophets who have been slain. Yeah, buddy, we finally did it. We got God. God sent his guys. We got his guys. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're gods. We are gods. Then after three and a half days, what's going to happen? Bam! These guys are going to come alive, and they're going to raise up into the sky. Could you imagine? I bet you it's going to get a lot of hits that day. There's going to be a whole lot of Twitter action going on. Do you think? Hashtag Moses. Hashtag Elijah. Hashtag resurrection. Hashtag I'm out of here. Hashtag wrath coming. Think about it. We laugh, but we're in the day. You can go anywhere in the world right now with webcams. These are the guys. I think it's kind of fun that 2,000 years ago, Jesus gives us a little glimpse of how this plays out. And then in the midst of all this, while Peter is making his exclamation, right, we have the appearance of the cloud and then a voice coming from the cloud. <laughs> he doesn't address Peter, but I think he could have, right? <clears throat> excuse me, Peter. Peter, uh, excuse me, Peter. <laughs> Clear the wax out of your ears. Put a finger in the right one. Listen to me with the left one. I want you to get this one. This is my beloved son. This isn't just a what? This isn't just a prophet. This is my beloved son. Therefore what? What's the last two words in English? Listen to him. Hear him. Hear him. This is my beloved son. Hear him. How much more so to us who say we know him? But you don't take the time, we don't take the time to what? Read his words. So we can hear him. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Are you listening to him? Do you hear him? Do you read his word so he can speak to you through his word? He wants to have that time with you. That's what we're getting into next week. He wants to have this time. It's called quiet time. We call it quiet time. It's not called quiet time in the Bible, but that's kind of the concept of it. You can call it QT if you want, whatever you want, devotional time. To go spend time in the presence of God. To stop and to be still. To listen to that still, small voice. Do you even care? 
the reaction of the disciples. They got it this time. <laughs> what do you think you would do if you heard, this is my son? And you had just been saying what? Hey, let's make three, uh, three tabernacles here. One for Elijah, one for Moses, and, and one for you too, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, God rebukes you out of the cloud. They fall fat on their face. Kind of reminds you of Isaiah, doesn't it? Isaiah comes face to face with the throne room of God, the glory of God. And his instant reaction is what? Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. He doesn't say, woe is me, because I'm living amongst heathen people. He says, woe is me, because I'm what? A man of unclean lips. First, he confesses his own sin before he worried about confessing the sins of his nation. We're so worried about the, the sins of our nation that we're, we don't think about our own sins. Revival starts with the confession of your own sins. With the recognition of your own sins. Not the recognition of everybody's sins around you. Not bemoaning the sins of the nation. But the recognition of your own in the repentance of your own. If my people, if whose people? If my people, who are called by my name. Whose name? God's name. Not the world's name. We're not talking about those who are following Asherah. We're not talking about those who are following uh, NFL. We're not talking about, do you get it? If, those, if my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves. If they will humble themselves and do what? Come on. You know it. They'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Not the world's wicked ways. If, if not, if the nation will do this, but if my people, my people who are called by my name will do this, if they'll humble themselves, they'll seek my face, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I will what? I will hear and I will heal the land. We want the healing of the land without the repentance. Reaction of the disciples, man, they got down in their faces. We only sing about it. We don't really do it. There's something about, and we'll talk about this as we go the next few weeks, there's something about getting on your knees before God. Literally. Not bowing in your heart, but laying it out before God. Now, I've talked about it. I mean, this is, we pick on Islam. We pick on Muslims. But you know what? They get it. Do you know when you're laying out flat before God, there is no defense. Somebody comes with their little scimitar and they can do what? Cut off your head. You're defenseless. Because you got your face buried in the ground. Because you can't look upon the holiness of who God is. Peter, James, and John, they got it. They were overwhelmed. They heard the voice. They got flat in their face. They prostrated themselves before God. They got it. Jesus said to them, don't tell anybody what you've seen. Could you imagine holding this one in? So, so what happened up there? 
I mean, because remember, they're going to go down. I mean, we'll talk about this in six weeks, right? They go down and there's all this disturbance. But afterwards, after the disturbance and everything, you know the question's going to come, right? So what happened up there? Did they see a little bit of lightning action like Moses going up on the mountain? Did they know something? I don't know. I mean, what happened up there? I can't tell you just yet. <laughs> wow. I mean, this is one you want to share. Don't say anything until when? Till I'm raised from the dead. Then tell everybody what you've seen. Why? Because it deals with who he is. He wants people to get it on their own. Secondly, then he discusses the manifestation of Elijah. So they ask him about Elijah. I mean, here's Elijah right there. I mean, we're not getting this. What's the process? Jesus said, look, in a nutshell, Elijah already what? He's already come. Do you know at Passover all the time, the, the Jews, they still, at Passover, still set a, a place for Elijah. They're setting a place for Elijah. Again, I think Revelation 11, Elijah is going to come back. He's going to come back with Moses. Okay? Could I be wrong? I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, we'll find out when that day happens. Hopefully, I'll have a box seat and I can be watching it from heaven, right? But we know, Jesus said, that at least his first coming, if you would, has already come. And that is who? John the Baptist. Not that it was Elijah living in John the Baptist, but that John the Baptist fulfilled the role of the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. He fulfilled the role of Elijah coming and preparing the people. He called them to repentance, just like Elijah did. But I want to go into this second part here. This is all applicational now. Because this passage is huge for us when it comes to this concept of metamorphosis. The transfiguration. Because not only is Jesus showing us who he is, but who we are. I mean, this is us. And we are told in God's word, and we don't have time to go through all these, about the future metamorphosis, the future transformation that we're going we're gonna to go under. And it's a promise. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told about that the, the corruptible shall put on Incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, right? And it says, do you not get it? That which is sown is only a kernel. But when it, when it, when it, when it sprouts, it's something totally what? Different. When that, when that caterpillar starts putting out the, whatever secretions that it is to hold itself to the, to the branch, and then it starts gyrating, it starts... This is kind of fun. They have videos of now of this time lapse of this happening. And it starts gyrating. Its body starts it's quivering and, and everything. And all of a sudden, this juices start coming out of it, secreting out of its body. And it starts making this chrysalis. And it's almost like it's me in my bed trying to tuck myself under the covers, you know? You know how it is on a cold night, and you're kind of like, like I, I, I can get under, I can, I, can, I can cocoon myself more. If you've been in the military, you've had to cocoon they call them cocoons for a reason, right? You have your little sleeping bag, and you're kind of like cocooned in there. And so the secretion's coming, and it's, it's pulling itself up over, and all of a sudden it's covered inside there, right? And then things are going on inside that chrysalis, inside that cocoon. And, and, and all of a sudden there's a point where all of a sudden you start to see things happening that are, that are, that are going on, and all of a sudden it bursts out like a chicken from an egg, if you would, and then it eats its egg. Anyways, it, it, it winds, that's why I never saw the chrysalis, because it'll turn around and eat its own chrysalis. This is kind of cool stuff, okay? And so 
all this is happening. And so, so what went in was this caterpillar. But what comes out is this awesome, beautiful monarch butterfly. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who wait on Him. I know I'm going to be the same being who I am in my very morphe, but my, but there's going to be this metamorphosis thing that goes on. I'm not going to look like this. My body of flesh, it's going to be gone. Can you even think? Can you even comprehend what it's going to be like to not be selfish? To be so God-focused that you're not going to be worried about you? That's all your flesh. I can't comprehend that. I'm not speaking dichotomy. It's all one, one, one together here. I mean, my body, my soul, my spirit, and somehow it's going to be so incredibly holy, holy, holy. I yearn for that. I jokingly pray with God I, I would like a lobotomy in some manner, you know, just kind of just take chunk out here that I don't remember. I only, I, that I can only think of him. That'd be so cool, you know? I mean, no, I don't really want that, but I, yes, I want that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I yearn for that. And one day, one day, anyway, it's going to happen. How cool is it? Do you believe it? Do you? Do you yearn for it? I yearn for it. Philippians chapter 3 says that, that he's able to do all things to himself. That, that it's, it's just going to happen. We, we, we wait from heaven for, for Christ who is going to subdue all things to himself. This is so cool. It's all going to be just, it's just going to happen. 1 John 3 says that we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Could you imagine? You're going to be able to look at the brilliance of God. How cold is that going to be? But we are called today to a present spiritual transformation. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read because I want to close with this in Romans 12. 2 Corinthians 3. beginning of verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. 
But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being metamorphed. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When Moses went up and he spent time with God, his face just shone so greatly that people couldn't bear to to look at it. Put a veil over it. When you come out of your quiet time, people ought to be asking you to put a veil over you. I mean, you get it? You're spending so much time in the presence of God, you're beginning to reflect them. That's what being a city that is set upon a hill is all about. Your light cannot be hidden. You're shining so brightly, so brilliantly that people are like, whoa, tone it down. Oh, put a veil over it. And we're told that this transformation is happening. It is happening. It is happening. If it's not, you got a problem. If you are not being cocooned, if you do not have this metamorphosis happening in your life, if you honestly before God cannot see anything going on, you need to get on your knees flat out before God because I'm telling you, I do not want to get there and find out people that have sat under my preaching didn't know Him. God's Word is so true that if you know Him, something's going to be happening. That caterpillar is going to start shaking. And the Spirit of God is going to start exuding. I sound like a charismatic, I'm sorry. But you get it. I mean, it's happening. And if it's not, something's wrong. You're not a monarch. You're a moth. You get it? We're told it's happening. So Paul says to the Romans, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That caterpillar has to cease being a caterpillar in order to become a butterfly. But we want to be caterpillars. John Deere's better. No, anyways. Sorry. We want to be those caterpillars. No, you don't want to be those caterpillars. If you know Jesus Christ, you know the butterfly is waiting for you. And you begin this process. God does the work in you. Philippians chapter 2. It's He who does the work in you. And Philippians chapter 1, 6 says that He will continue to perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. He is going to do the work. He is doing the work. And if it's, the work's not happening in you, you're not His. And you can, you can say all you want. And again, I'm not preaching judgment. I love you. And anybody who listens to this, somewhere in the future, if God leads somebody to it, I want them to hear it. That we're not playing games. Off your bodies as a living sacrifice. And be not conformed to the world, but be ye what? Transformed, metamorphosed. Through the renewing of your mind. 
And that goes all the way back to Jesus' core teaching. Metanoia. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And I'm not going to go into 2 Corinthians 4 and Ephesians 4, but you can go into those and read them. Old has passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. That's 2 Corinthians 5. It's so replete throughout the word. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk, we live, we reside, we're content with the darkness. We lie and we do not the truth. So, who do you say Jesus is? What do your lips and your life reveal? Is Jesus just another prophet? Or is he the incarnate I am? What part of the process of the metamorphosis are you in? Are you still up here? You're just a cattle person. Maybe you're a tin worm. You're a fake. I don't mean that to be rude. But you've got to analyze that. Have you even entered into the cocoon? Has it become the chrysalis? Does your life reflect an ongoing transformational process? Is there therefore a need to change the way you think? And ultimately change the way you act. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for who you are. We know that you are God alone. And Lord, that you desire for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is ultimately what you have predestined us for. To be conformed to the image of Christ. And that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Lord, help us to hunger and thirst for you more than anything else. To want to be in your presence that you would continue that work which you've begun in us. Lord, if, if there really is anybody that's here, or anyone who ever listens to this message, that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would just challenge them, and they would fall on their face before you. Lord, help us to be humble, people who are called by your name who will be used for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.